0: The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his hand. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Those are verses 16 to 18 of Psalm 10, which along with Psalm 11, are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, July the 5th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the Book of Numbers. We're coming to the to the end of the book at this point. We're in Numbers 35, verses one to three, and nine to 15, and 30 to 34. the The reason they leave out some of those other verses is that that it further defines what has come either before or after, um, in ways that that are not necessarily important to us today so they are it's not that they're not important but you'll see when we talk about it and then also matthew's gospel chapter 23 verses 13 to 26 and paul's letter to the church at rome chapter 8 verses 31 to 39 <clears throat> so in the numbers passage the lord spoke to moses in the plains of moab by the jordan at jericho saying command the people of Israel. So they're there. They're they're, they're across the Jordan from Jericho, which is where um, Joshua will lead them in to the first place in the land is going to be at Jericho. So they're camped there uh, because Moses isn't going to lead them into the land. And the Lord spoke and said, command the people of Israel to give to the Levites some of the inheritance of their possession as cities for them to dwell in. So essentially they're making tithes in of the land. So the Levites are not going to receive land directly from God because their services at the temple in Jerusalem, but they're going to be so numerous that they don't all need to serve all the time. So they need to be scattered and dispersed among the peoples because they, they're going to be the people who, who, in local settings, can interpret the law for the people. So they're, they're to give them cities. So so whatever the inheritance of any given tribe was, whether it be Dan or Asher or whoever, that they, they're... They're they're to set aside cities within their territory for Levites to live in, and this, so therefore the Levites will then be dispersed throughout the land. And you shall give to the Levites pasture lands around the cities, so they they have cities, but then they also have pasture lands outside the cities where they can keep their um, cattle and their livestock and all their beasts. So all so they can have cities and pasture lands outside the cities. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. So a manslayer, it, you know, we've got that term at law here, it's manslaughter, but manslayer is different from a murderer. That the murderer is somebody who, who does something, it's sort of murder one, the um, the, the definition of, of first-degree murder is, has to do with a plan. Malice aforethought are the two words that are used there. But what it means is that this was thought out in advance. It's not an inadvertent act. And it goes on. The, the, the law here is going to go on to, to say you, know, you can't claim to be a manslayer instead of a murderer if you use a weapon, for instance, that, that it, whether it's an iron weapon, a wooden weapon, or anything else that's capable of killing a man, even a rock. And so that, that's considered murder. It's not considered manslaughter. So it, it, it says you it was an advantageous thing that you had over this other person, and so you, therefore you're going to be considered a murderer whether anybody, nobody has to prove that you thought this plan out in advance. The presumption is because you had a weapon capable of killing a man that you're a murderer. So the, the, the manslayer, somebody who inadvertently kills another person, has, has an option to flee to a city of refuge while they await trial for what they've done, and that city of refuge protects them from vengeance by a near kinsman. So somebody can't, the, the kinsman redeemer issue, like in, in Boaz's situation, the kinsman redeemer is one who redeemed a widow. But a kinsman redeemer or an avenger can also be one who exacts revenge in measure for measure, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, on the one who has harmed some close relative of theirs. So that, that kinsman redeemer can, can play multiple roles. So here, the cities shall be for you a refuge from that avenger, that the manslayer, not the murderer, may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And the cities that you shall give shall be your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities beyond the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan to be cities of refuge. Those six cities shall be refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and the sojourner among them. So they're not to be treated any differently if, if they commit an inadvertent act that takes the life of another, then even a sojourner and a stranger can go to these places and, and await trial without fear of harm or retribution, that anyone who kills a person without intent may flee there. Anyone, 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 anyone. <laughs> if anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death in the evidence of witnesses, plural, but no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. That The death penalty is, is Absolutely a thing. And you're going to see in a minute how important the death penalty is, because taking the life of another, spilling blood, is that important. But the death penalty can only be done if you can establish the evidence of multiple witnesses. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death. He shall be put to death. In other words, he can't make a payment, which is what was allowed in other societies of the time, is they could make a cash payment in order to avoid the death penalty. And you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to the city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priests. So what is this deal about the death of the high priest? So the, the, the idea in, in many cultures at the time was is that if the king died, then murderers were, were set free. They were the, the murder was expunged because it was considered that expiation, atonement, had been made for that crime. If the king died, there, that, that there was a, a time of liberty was declared. And here, what we see is that that same idea is applied to the death of the high priest. So if... The high priest dies prior to the trial. Then, then the the murderer, the manslayer, manslayer in this in this uh, example would be set free, but not the murderer. murderer has to be put to death. He said, "You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it." So, in, in other words, the one who who did the murder you shall not defile the land in which you live in the midst of which I dwell for I the Lord dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. So murder pollutes the land in the same way that that the murder of, of Abel by his brother Cain polluted the land. And he was driven then from the land for that reason because he had spilled blood in that place. So it, it's important the taking of human life is of preeminent importance in Judaism because human life is considered to be sacred because all were created in the image of God. So whenever we kill another person, and we don't, but whenever someone killed another person, that was the crime worthy of death because it, it, it had to do with killing an image bearer of God. So it's important in the land that murder not be a thing because God himself dwelt in, dwelt in the midst of his people and, and his people were those who were created in his image and who he had raised up to be a kingdom of priests. In the gospel, Jesus is, is now going to turn directly to the scribes and the Pharisees and he is going to pronounce woes on them uh, even though he has just said they sit in Moses' seat. Now what he said, what he meant by that they sit in moses's seat is they actually have a, a, a hereditary claim in some cases to that place he says but woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites and hypocrite is somebody who, who wears a mask that that's the ancient derivation of that word is someone who wears wears a mask and so they have literally they were two-faced and jesus already said that they don't practice what they preach and that's what he means by this he says you shut the kingdom of god in people's faces for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And, and so what he's saying there is because they don't practice what they preach, they won't enter the kingdom. They will not enter the kingdom of heaven because they don't practice what they preach. And they shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces by tying up burdens that are too heavy to bear on the people. And so, so they, they, they leave these people in despair that they can ever enter the kingdom. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, some a conversion to Judaism. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice a child of hell as yourself. So it, what, they're, what they're doing is, is they're continuing to lead people astray by what they do. And they put them in hell by tying up these burdens on them that don't allow them to see escape. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his, by his oath, you blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that's made the gold sacred? And so they look at it the other way around. They're looking at these things from an earthly perspective of value. So the gold has value, but what Jesus is saying is the gold only has value to the extent that it's in the temple. The temple itself has made it sacred because it's the household of God. And if you say, and you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? That was meaningless. The, the, the gift was meaningless prior to being given in this way. So he's saying that, no, you you got this completely backwards. You're looking from, from an earthly, worldly perspective of value. And that is you're seeing value in the gold. You're seeing value in the animal that's offered on the altar. When the reality is, apart from these things, those things have very limited value. It all changes when you bring it to God. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, the one who dwells in it, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. In other words, take an oath seriously, so seriously, in fact, don't take oaths, which is what Jesus does say in another place. He says, don't do this. Don't swear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't take an oath. And so what you get in the Anabaptist tradition, like the Mennonites and people like that, is, is that they won't give testimony in court by swearing on a Bible. Because they say, no, 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 I'm not supposed to take an oath at all. So they won't do that. And they don't participate in civic society for that reason. So, <clears throat> woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And I, I don't know how much you know about spices, but mint, dill, and cumin don't weigh anything. To speak of but yet they're tithing of those things and so they're applying the law of the tithe down to the tiniest little thing and they're taking pride in the fact that they're tithing even these tiny little bits of something and yet they've neglected the weightier matters of the law justice mercy and faithfulness so you're being very scrupulous about all the wrong things But he's not saying it's wrong to be scrupulous about those things. He's saying that that you do this, but you neglect to do the more important things. So in the light matters, you do well. But so much so that you forget the heavy matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Continue to do that, but set yourselves on these weightier matters. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. He's not talking about cups and plates. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. And he's going to continue with these woes, and we're going to see this about whitewashed tombs, and that's a continuation of the argument that he's just made. You deal with the externals, but not the internals. And the internals are more important. You just That's why you're a hypocrite. You have two faces. You have the external face that you show to the people, but then there's this seething stuff inside you that's hidden from them. <clears throat> and then Paul has just asked and, and, and responded to say, what's the role of the Spirit? And, and the role of the Spirit is to con- get us conformed to the image of God, which is what we're called to do. He says, what then shall we say to these things? The argument that, that we um, are sinners and deserve God's wrath, but instead we've received grace. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, the work of the cross is not the end of the story. It's the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the continuing work of God in our lives and for us. And so he says, if he didn't spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things so we can continue to count on him just as Jesus promised, lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. He said, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And, and that was the role of the Satan, was to bring a charge against us. He says it's God who justifies. He's done all the work of justification. You can't bring a charge against me because I stand positionally in Christ, and nobody can bring a a charge against him. He was found innocent, and we know that because he was resurrected from the dead. He's the only one who was resurrected from the dead. He's the only one in heaven on earth or under the earth who is worthy to take the scroll from the one seated on the throne. He says who's to condemn us Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. So God's not going to condemn us. We know that because of Christ Jesus. He is at the right hand of God. He's also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? None of those things, none of those states or situations can separate us from the love of Christ. Because he knows us, and he knows who we are, and where we are, and what we are. And it's the same basic idea that David is arguing in Psalm 139. Where can I go to escape you? And the answer David finds is nowhere. (laughs) No matter where I go, you are there. And so that's exactly what Paul's arguing here. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. No matter how bad it gets, he says, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. No, none of those things can separate you from the love of Christ because it's eternal. As it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered for his sake. And Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my sake. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We've already passed from death to life. We will perish from the earth unless he comes before we do. But we've already passed from death to life. We have already conquered. We need not fear death through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He said we have nothing to fear we have nothing to doubt nothing can separate us from the love of god we have flown to him as our city of refuge and he has provided the expiation for our sins in order that we might live we have been judged we've already passed through judgment if we're in christ jesus and we have been found innocent because of his innocence and his blood now covers us and protects us from judgment It's an important thing to see these things. We need not do all the things that the the burdens the Pharisees tied up. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And if you'll receive that, then you can be set free from the heavy burden that legalism will tie upon you. And, And you'll no longer tie up those heavy burdens on other people in your own judgment passed on them. We are those who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb let's now go out and share that grace and that good news with others who are also hurting and in need of that truth